Hello and welcome to the St. Edmunds podcast. I'm Simon Carley. And I'm Natalie May. And this week we're going to talk about something which we've, well, we've only recently tried on the St. Edmunds website, really. A new idea about getting media out there to give people more access to the blogs, more access to themes, ideas, things which run through the St. Edmunds blog and podcast. And that's the idea of using ebooks. So, Natalie, what, what have we been doing with this? Well, we started off with a book that was a collation of our posts around risk and decision making, which is one of what we consider to be the four pillars of what St. Emlyn's as a project does. And we just put together a whole load of posts that seemed to be on a similar theme and with some software that was available, made them into an ebook, just really as an experiment to see what the interest level was, whether that's useful to people in terms of being able to go and get all of the things on a single topic in the same place. And we released that last month in November. And it seems to have been pretty successful so far. I mean, we don't really know how people consume the stuff that we produce. So obviously the blogs sort of come and go, but they do have this idea that they're only transient, that they're just there for a short period of time. People read them and then they kind of disappear to something. And one of the criticisms about FOMED in general is that that does happen with the blogs and podcasts is that people move on very, very quickly and it doesn't have that permanence. So we thought if we put these things as themes together, that would be good. And actually the the risk probability decision making, that goes right the way back to the original Smack conference back in 2013 when we did some presentations about that then. And of course, you've contributed to that book and Chris Gray and uh, Rich Carden and Rick Boddy and loads of other people have had similar ideas about the fact that emergency medicine, critical care, pre-hospital care is so much about decision making. So putting it in one place seemed to be like a good idea. I think there's also a benefit in terms of reviewing the content that was there already. So that's another major criticism of Foam is that we're publishing something and we maybe aren't looking at it and potentially it's out of date. And, you know, how are we going to go through that process of keeping our content up to date because it's always going to be available? And actually, this is quite a good point, a good juncture to go through the things we've already said and thought about and see if they're still relevant, see if there are ways in which we're presenting the information has changed. So that first book is about risk, probability, decision making. It's been quite good, actually. I think when I had a look the other day, we've had over 3000 downloads of the book. Now, I don't know whether anybody's read it. <laughs> you never know, do you? But at least 3000 people have engaged with it. And we've published that on two sites. We've published it through the Apple iBook store, because that's the technology which we've used to create it. But we've also put it up on ResearchGate. And ResearchGate is quite an interesting system, actually. It's, it's where you can put all your data on there. You can put all your publications on there. It gives you some scores about how successful you are as an academic, but it does allow you to publish there as well. And that's really important if you're not on Apple devices. If you're on something like Kindle or you just want to get a PDF and read it through your PDF reader, you can get that on the ResearchGate site. Because I, I think we're going to have to do both. It's not too much extra work for us to do things that way. And our aim is to get it to as many people as possible. So it doesn't make sense for us to just stick to one particular software format. So the first book was philosophical, really, I suppose, about the practice of emergency medicine. Um, you've also published a book this month on lessons from Sydney Hems. And I think this is much more clinical in some aspects, but actually sort of really pragmatic, really useful. The sort of book which I think well, I would have wanted to read when I was a junior doctor, because it tells me about the stuff which isn't in the textbooks a lot. So how did you come to put that book together? I was already making a reflective diary. So I, I came out to do the job with Sydney Hems to learn. It's a great learning environment. There's some really knowledgeable, skilled people in charge there. So when I started working at Sydney Hems, I decided that I wanted to create a learning reflective logbook for myself. I had come out here to do that job and to learn from the people who were working in the service. There's some incredible, inspiring people 
from the medical side and the paramedic side, loads and loads of collective experience. So I wanted to record that and to go through a, a formal process of reflection. And I happened to be mentioned, happened to be chatting to Janos about the fact that I was collating all these amazing learning lessons and he being Janos immediately challenged me, oh, well, surely there's going to be a blog post on that 101 lessons from the top of a mountain or something. And I thought, yeah, actually that, that might work. So I actually started putting the blog post together before I finished my year there because I had 100, but that wasn't what I was necessarily aiming for. I put together an Excel file and for every case I went to, I tried to write down something that I'd learned from the case, whether that was something I already knew that had just been reinforced, seeing it in practice or something that was completely new to me that I might never have thought about before. And actually getting into that habit was really useful. It helped me at the end of days and weeks to sort of consolidate the things I'd learned and to spend a bit of time thinking about my own practice and hopefully improving and not making the same mistakes again, which is half of the aim of reflection anyway. Looking at the book is quite interesting because there's obviously the clinical things in there, which I think many people would be really interested in. Sydney Hems has an international reputation of for clinical excellence, but there's also, also a huge amount of stuff there in about management, about interpersonal relationships, about how we function in hospitals, or how about how we be kind, how we understand other people. There's an awful lot of that, what I would call the hidden curriculum of emergency medicine or pre-hospital care, which is stuff which isn't in the textbooks, but actually makes an enormous difference to how we function as clinicians in whatever environment we're working in. And, and that kind of came organically from the learning points that I was writing down. So I didn't try to have any structure in the first instance. I, my file, my Excel file, um, which I'll put, I'm going to write a, an accompanying blog post about the process of reflection and how I've made it work, which we can talk about a little bit in a moment. But my Excel file just has a, a date, a case number, where the job was to kind of fix my memory, because I find that my memories tend to be sort of location based. And then just a sentence about something that I learned. And that has helped me to put things together. I've ended up with this big list of stuff that just might go from putting in G-Tube down to remember to use first names. And so it was as I'd started to amass a number of learning points, I was able to organize them into categories that seemed to make sense together. And that's why the blog posts have turned out as they have. So I think that's really interesting, actually. There's a lot of stuff going on about reflection here in the UK at the moment. There's been some interesting legal cases where trainees have had um, an adverse event and they put a reflection into their portfolios and that's subsequently been revealed to uh, legal teams and it's actually been used against them so reflection is really tricky over here at the moment but actually reflection is an incredibly powerful tool to get better and within that i mean what what springs to mind when i'm listening to you a couple of things the first is that you're reflecting about stuff in general not just waiting for some disaster to happen and use reflection as a as a tool to talk about when things don't go well, but actually using it to talk about when things go well, when they don't go well, when they just go. And actually reflection being something which we do about all our cases and not just the exceptional ones, and in particular, not just the exceptionally bad ones. Yeah, I think it's worth us thinking a little bit more about reflection. It, it has become a bit of a bad word in UK medical education circles from the point of view of trainees, because what they see is being required to complete various reflective pieces for their portfolio every year. And that kind of annoys me as an education enthusiast, because that's not really how it, sh how it works effectively. If you're forcing someone to, you know, I must think about a case that I can write a reflection on, they're already trimming out all of the smaller stuff. They want to write something that's meaty and juicy so they can demonstrate a really good reflection piece or just they're making something up. Not that I've ever done that in my portfolio, but I'm sure that that happens. 
Whereas the idea has come from education studies that show that it's a really effective and important way to improve oneself, to really take a little bit of time to think about the, the decision making, about the circumstances, and to formulate some learning messages for yourself, because that is, it's a priceless way to learn that we're sort of throwing away by enforcing it on people in a way that doesn't make any sense. Some of my jobs are sitting on regular reviews of trainees and I have this conversation and say, you know, your reflections are very interesting, but have you ever reflected on when things went well? And people look at me like I've got three heads or something. It has become a culture of just doing it when it's bad. And I, I think that's very poor, actually. It's not the way for excellence to, to develop. But how have, why has that happened when you've been in Sydney Hems? Why has it changed from going from the UK system to Sydney Hems? Is it about their culture there? Is it about you? Is it just about the sunshine? I don't know. I think from my perspective, it was it was an opportunity to start off well. So I, I kind of recognised this as a, it was intended to be a standalone year and as everybody probably has noticed I've not quite left yet. Um, as a standalone opportunity for me to go and learn something. And we don't often see our training like that. We feel a bit more like, uh, particularly in the UK, people are really fixed on this idea that we're there providing a service and maybe our training comes second. And that means we can put our own training needs further down the line. Whereas going out and thinking, right, yes, I'm going to go and provide a service, but this is something that's really new to me. And it's, a, it's an environment I'm not going to be in forever. And I, I've got a great opportunity to learn some stuff. And how do I get the most out of it? So from the outset, I was I had this plan for, well, I'm just going to try to learn something from every single case opportunity that I have. And some of the stuff hasn't actually come from cases. It's come from things that have happened during the day in the day-to-day -day workings of being part of the service and the day-to-day -day, day -day workings of being a doctor and doing a job. But because I'd already established that habit, and I think that's the key here, having it as a habit, then it was natural when things happened that were a bit difficult or uncomfortable or really made me try to have to work out how to fix them. There was a natural inclination then to, well, this is obviously something that also needs to go in the reflective learning diary. Okay. So that when you've done this, are there any big themes that have come out of doing that reflection or any particular cases or any particular points that you would sort of highlight to listeners? From a clinical perspective, the there's two kinds of work that we did through the service. So we did the pre-hospital primaries, which is the trauma patients. So we get usually trauma patients, almost exclusively trauma patients. So we get tasked to, to go and retrieve them to a trauma center from an accident site, whatever that looks like. And then we would do inter-hospital transfers of really sick patients who usually were too sick for the small institution they were at coming back towards bigger institutions to get higher level intensive care or specific interventions like cardiology, neurosurgery, whatever. And actually, as an emergency physician, a lot of the inter-hospital stuff was a much steeper learning curve for me. We don't, particularly in the UK, don't do that intensive care side of things. I know in a lot of centres, the emergency physicians aren't the ones who are performing rapid sequence induction of anaesthesia and intubation. And they probably don't look after patients who are intubated for long periods of time. So then going out and picking someone up from an ICU and taking an intubated patient on a two-hour transfer and keeping all their infusions going... That was a really big mindset shift for me. Quite challenging, but not as terrifying by the end of it as it could have been. So that was good. The other thing from the primary perspective was drownings. Very, very different out here from what we would see in the UK. I didn't really see, I don't think I'd ever seen a drowning patient in the UK. So it's not something I'd thought about except for exams when you sort of write a few lines about it. And then there's the fact that the, the water in the UK is so much colder, it tends to be slightly protective. In Australia, the water temperature doesn't really fall, certainly in New South Wales, below about 15 degrees. 
in the summer it can be up in the like low to mid 20s and it's very very nice but it does mean that if you fall in and drown that's bad for you you, you want to drown in cold water if you're going to drown in cold water but it's really common everyone is uh, out in the sea out in swimming pools out in lakes and rivers and making the most of the, the weather and the outdoor life and enjoying that water but quite a lot of people don't swim as well as they should for the circumstances they find themselves in or or, or underestimate the water which is a big thing and I went to a couple of drowning cases, particularly very early on in the job. And there's not a great deal of complicated stuff that you need to do, but it is quite a different mindset. And of course, many of these cases are actually quite young, which is quite challenging from a personal point of view as well. Yes, that's very true. I thought I thought it was really interesting reading through the, the well, it's 104. We better get over the numbers game at this point. It says on the front 101 lessons, but there's actually 104. Is yeah, this, I this thought is a maths that... problem? <laughs> I thought there was 101. I'm sure I counted it and there was 101. But then when I went to put the book together and numbered them all, I realized there was, you get three free yeah. as well as the other 101 that are free. So it's 104 free lessons, but we'll call we it just, 101 plus three. We just kind of left it in there because it seemed the right thing to do. I'm really interested to know what people think about putting these blogs together, about how that works as a, as, as a consumer, I suppose. I think it's incredibly exciting what you've done with the Sydney Hems thing. I think I've learned quite a lot going through it. And I've used some of those ideas, particularly about uh, the, the feedback issues, about educationally, about how we support people and, and let them understand how they're getting on. I think I've, I've applied quite a few of those into practice. So that's been a really positive thing. Where do we go next? Where do we go next with ebooks? That's a good question. I think one of the other pillars of the work that we do at St. Emlyn's is about wellness. And we're going to try to put some of our wellness and looking after yourself type posts together, which seems really timely particularly as mm. the UK is in the grip of the flu that we had in our Australian winter. And all I can say is good luck with that. It's not fun. Well, it's fine because we're not really busy at the moment. Actually, no, oh. we're just actually we're absolutely hammered at the moment. We're working really hard. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to your Australian flu. Thanks, guys. It will be interesting. Yeah, I think the well-being stuff is really important. I think that will be the next phase. We've got a lot of authors who who work around that. So obviously Liz Crow, uh, Ian Beards or Yanis Bayonbe, Laura, yourself um, and many others will put together the book. I think that'll be quite um, positive. We've also seen some really interesting stuff from Archem Learning. Archem Learning is starting to do this as well. And I know that um, other blogs and websites such as I think Don't Forget the Bubbles are thinking about doing this. So I think this might be a new way of consuming FOMED education. So, you know. Thanks for all your efforts. I think it's been a really, really fascinating experience um, and experiment. And if anybody's out there listening and you've downloaded it and you've got a comment, you want to make it better, just get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, we would. It might be worth mentioning that the Ultrasound podcast team have two free eBooks on Ultrasound at the bedside, which are excellent and interactive and really fantastic resources. And they're well worth having in your electronic library. No, that's absolutely true. And the other group is the Attack group, the ATACC group, if you look for that on iBooks as well they've got a fabulous trauma manual out there so we're by no means the first we're quite happy to stand on the shoulders of those giants but we'd be really interested to hear what you think so thank you for listening uh, thank you for keeping in touch i hope you have a wonderful christmas and new year and we shall see you again in 2018 have a good time mm-hmm.